today is part three of an important, critical, uh, difficult, excuse me, challenging series, if you're joining us. It's called called The Untouchables, four incredibly controversial, hot issues going on in our country today, around the world actually, but uh, these are topics that often are, are most Christians or churches don't want to touch them, but God led me to, to, to teach on these things, and, and I'm only doing it because God told me to teach on these things, but it's, it's vitally important. Um, we've talked about abortion already and homosexuality last week, but to one of the questions that really I want to really, really impact all of our thinking is this question is, how do you determine right versus wrong? You know, what, what do you, what's the basis of, of, of that decision? You can think, well, I, I think this is right or wrong, or I feel this is right or wrong, or I believe, but based upon what? And, and that's the question that many Americans, even many Christians, can't really fully answer. Based upon what? And our country as a whole is making decisions based upon feelings and personal experiences. And so my, my, as a pastor, I, I say that the wise answer to that is based upon an objective standard of truth. Objective, it's unbiased, it's unchanging, it's the same for any generation, for all times. And, and I, I have this personal, you know, really this object lesson of a way scale that um, it doesn't care what I think or I feel or what I believe. When the doctor or the nurse says, we want to, you know, they asked me my weight, I may not be actually accurate on purpose, but this thing will tell the truth, even when I don't want to know the truth. That's why we avoid objective standards of truth. And when there's no objective standards of truth, um, it, there's confusion and chaos, there's confusion and chaos, and that's what we're seeing in our country because we want to base big decisions on anything and everything except what I believe is my objective standard of truth is the Word of God. Our culture laughs at the Word of God, says it's outdated, it's full of myths, and most of the people that, that mock it probably have never read it or studied it. But I, in part one, I, I gave a breakdown of why there's evidences, evidences you can hold on to, evidences that you can believe, why this is indeed the Word of God. It is so unique and distinct of all ancient literature. But the whole purpose of this series is to challenge you, if you're not a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you can help understand why we believe what we believe and where it comes from. Even if you disagree with that, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm praying that this series will help you begin to have a biblical worldview, a biblical filter where you take the issue, you run it through God's word first, you know, kind of over, you know, supersede your feelings and your background, but go through God's word first and it's filtered from God's word. So then you can say, based upon scripture, this is why I hold to this, this is either right or this is either wrong based upon, based upon Scripture. So that is, that is my standard that we've been going through. And every central point, when we get to that point, if for all my, our note-takers out there, I'm always starting with according to Scripture, not according to this dude up here. 
not according to a political uh, worldview, all right? It, it's a biblical worldview based upon Scripture. Today, um, the issue of transgenderism is all over our culture. It, it is a sensitive issue. It is a very controversial issue. I mean, just 10 days ago, or two weeks ago, in the Supreme Court hearings, Q&A, this issue came up and has been talked about. And then Friday, the White House came out with a proclamation that they are fully behind and supporting even children and teenagers to go through, you know, with a different assignment surgery or hormone, uh, hormones to give or puberty blockers. And they're fully behind that. And it came from the White House that if you disagree with this, you are wrong. Of course, as soon as I heard that, I went, based upon what? Based upon what? So that, that's why this series is so important. Not because I just want to stir up, you know, the waters. Believe me, I'd rather teach on anything else. Uh, anything else. But it's important to just understand based upon what. So today we're going to talk about what is it, what, what, what problems is it, this transgenderism is causing, what's behind it. Who's behind this? Uh, how should Christians uh, respond? But more importantly, we're going to answer the question, what does the Bible say? Right? What does the Bible say about this? Now, just so we all have understanding of definitions, there is a real thing called gender uh, dysphoria. It's real. And that's when individuals are in conflict inside. They're in conflict for the gender that they were assigned at birth. And, and it causes all kinds of, of mental health issues and struggles. That's a real thing. Don't, don't be cavalier about those who struggle with it. It is real. We, we have people in our church who, who struggle with this or have sons and daughters that struggle with this. So please, do not laugh about this. Because it's real. Now trans... Gender is that when an individual identifies with a different gender than they were assigned at birth. Like, okay, I was born this way, but this is not who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. And so, you know, this, so our, our culture is running fast to, to acknowledge and, and to celebrate someone who identifies someone Someone different than, than what they were born. So, in my research, um, I did the scriptural research, but also did a cultural research. Whenever I talk on cultural issues, I do tons of research because I don't, don't want to get up here in an ignorant fashion say things. So, I usually go to websites that uh, support, you know, this, uh, the issue that I'm talking about today. So, I went to a transgender advocate website. website and here's their definitions. This is their definitions um, for what this whole thing of transgender is. So here, here's a couple of quotes from uh, the, the medical news today. The, here's what they're saying. Is gender is different than sex. Although genetic factors, that's the DNA, typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify on the inside. Only, don't, don't miss this, this is important, only the, the person, 
can determine what their gender identity is. Stay here in just a second. Oh, oh, that, that's, that's critical to understand that only they can determine what gender they, is, they are. Um, gender is different than sex. A couple weeks ago, I, I talked briefly about a theory that's gaining traction in our culture called the personhood theory. I talked about this with the abortion. It's, it's, it's starting to get into that conversation about abortion. The personhood theory is that just because someone is human doesn't make them a person. And, and it's like, okay, they're a person, but, you know, are they human? And so they have, they've split the meaning of a person and a human, which for generation upon generation, it was the same coin, different size. But they're separating it, um, which, is, which is causing a lot of confusion. And I think the same thing has happened here. They're separating gender and, and sex. Again, this, this is what, how they identify or feel on the inside, and only they can determine. It goes on to say, they go on to say this. This does not mean that sex and gender aren't real, but that the way people uh, conceptualize them isn't set into the fabric of the universe. It can, and it does change. So our view, our conceptualization, conceptualization of the person is not set just because they were born with you know in one way it can and it often changes so this is the the complete 180 degree opposite in the direction of an objective standard of truth that it doesn't change it's not biased it's it this it is what it is this is on the other spectrum that the person, it's, they determine, and then it can change, and it can change. So that, that's some definitions. Now, there is an ideology when it comes to the whole issue of transgenderism. It's a uh, transgender ideology. And now an ideology and a political movement have joined together. Now, there are four tenets, and I received this from websites that um, condone this and approve this and celebrate this. So these aren't my tenets. Uh, these are their tenets. These are, there's four tenets of this transgender ideology and political movement. The first tenet is this, is that gender is malleable. I mean, it is pliable. It's changeable. Gender is malleable. Second tenet is this, is that modern medicine <clears throat> should be used to help gender dysphoric individuals change their gender identity and in their writings the purpose is that medic the medical you know uh, part of our country should now it's being pushed to must help them and the issue is because they're concerned about their the mental health of someone who struggles with um, gender dysphoria so that the medical part of this, as you're hearing on the news, it's just, it's growing, it's all out there, is when children are young to give them pu puberty blockers, to then also provide hormone therapy, and then the, you know, all the way to the end of reassignment surgery, where they actually surgically make changes to a body. That's the second tenet. The third tenet is that public policy should be reformed to reflect um, transgender preferences. 
We saw that. We made the news a number of years ago here in Silverdale, our, our, our YMCA, when they decided to say that a, a transgender individual can choose whatever, they, whatever bathroom they preferred. That's part of the, the public policies should be changed and reformed. Bathroom preference, uh, sex-specific um, sports programs, uh, even the criminalization, this is growing, the criminalization of what is called misgendering individuals. That because you don't use the pronoun that they wish for, for, to be referred to, uh, you are misgendering them and you should be criminalized. And, and, and that's happening in different states in our country. So that's the, the third tenet of public policy needs to change. And then fourth tenet is this ideology must be supported and celebrated. In our culture, in our government, in our media, this is, this is raging pretty hot. That the whole issue of transgenderism, um, this ideology must be supported and celebrated. And if you don't support it and celebrate it, you as an individual or you and your company or you're an organization or, or, or political party, whatever, we're going to be, be canceled, going to be boycotted and protest and referred to as being transphobic, transphobic. Whenever there's a phobic definition thrown in, it's, it's really a way to try to end the conversation because we're like, no, I'm not afraid of that. But our culture is saying you must not only um, support this, but you must celebrate this. Now, this has caused a tremendous amount of confusion and chaos in families, in churches, in states, all over the place. In my research a number of weeks ago, I just typed in how many genders are there. And it kept changing. And so according to different uh, advocate websites, the number of genders today is between 72 and 78. And it keeps, keeps changing, okay? Um, I've listed 16 of them because I don't want to take enough, you know, a bunch of slides. But here's, here's just 16 of the between 72 and 78 of them. <clears throat> and a, a transgender person can move from one, one of these names to another. And so then there's also pronouns. Again, going on these websites and finding here, here are the ever-changing pronouns. First of all, and the yellow is the traditional pronouns. But then there's all these pronouns, and there's, there's more being added on a weekly basis. So again, that's, just, that's causing more confusion on, on, this, on this issue. So there's other problems that are surfacing um, that you're, you're probably noticing surfacing. In California, gender identity education starts in kindergarten and all the way through high school in, in my my state that I was, I was born in. If you're aware of what's going on, <clears throat> Florida State just passed a policy, a law, affirming uh, parents' rights to, uh, you know, protection parents and, and 
kindergarten through up to third grade, uh, you're not to, to teach gender theory, gender identity, all this sort of stuff. Let, let the parents take care of that. <clears throat> and that has caused a massive blowback politically and on, on Hollywood and, and, and all that. Uh, women's sports records are dropping like flies to those who are biologically male but identify as female. Now, when I <clears throat> coached a number of years ago in Kitsap County, I faced this as a coach from, from a, another team, a player from another team. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it does cause some issues. And uh, j- just recently, more, more uh, athletes are standing up going, this is not fair. It doesn't matter how hard I train. It doesn't matter this or that. I, I can't compete with someone who has... Um, been born biologically male and, and all of their muscles and body structure and all. I, I can't. I can't, no matter how hard I practice, no matter what I do. So that is causing problems. There's beginning to be some blowback and states are um, passing different laws to protect women's sports. And what, what is people are asking, the question is, where are all the women's rights advocates you know and I, I i have the same question like where, where are you um because women's sport and i'm biased because i had two girl athletes in my house and coached them um the tremendous strides have been made and now those strides are starting to recede another problem is that many children today teenagers today are being encouraged and cheered on to uh, have hormone treatments and surgery. Children are, are being encouraged to take you know, puberty um, blockers. In, in the research that I, I, I found in a Wall Street Journal had a lengthy, this was last August, a lengthy article on this whole issue and what is happening with research. Uh, Europe is about 10 to 20 years ahead of America on all, all these issues. And it's called the, the Dutch Protocol. For, for the longest time, the Dutch um, Protocol has been like the standard um, across the world, especially in Europe, to encourage children, even as young as eight years old, to begin, um, you know, the, the, the hormones, the, the treatments, the uh, puberty blockers, and even surgery as young as eight and they were proud of it, and they were like, this is awesome, this is, should be celebrated, encouraged, and, and now the tide is turning that a number of European countries are beginning to back up based upon data from research, saying, wait a second, this, this, this is causing more problems. In the Dutch protocol, they began to see that many minors who underwent hormone treatment, and even surgeries this past decade, many of them are now regretting those decisions. And if they had surgery, their life is forever altered. And they also found in the survey that uh, these um, kids who struggled with uh, gender dysphoria, that they, they thought that going down this path with with medicine and with surgery would help them with their mental health uh, struggles. And they're finding that that is finding that it hasn't been a positive experience for them with their mental health. 
And these researchers who are not Christians, they're, 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 they're like, we're not political. We don't have an ideology. We're just sharing the facts. They're saying, we are harming our children by encouraging and pushing this medical path. But the, the data and the research is being blocked here in the States. It's being blocked from being published. And they're being canceled because they're, they're, they, ha they have a, a, you know, a different story to tell. And it's being shut down. So that's kind of the, the big picture of the background, even some surveys and studies. But what does the Bible have to say? And then how do we respond to that? See, one of the reasons why I believe the Word of God is inspired by God is because time after time, it talks about relevant cultural issues. Thousands and thousands of years before it became an issue, God's word covered it. Man's not smart enough to think up all those things. So I believe it's God's word inspired, inspiring writers to write down what God wanted them to write. Look at a few verses um, and then more later. Genesis, go back to the beginning, go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him. And I believe according to Colossians chapter 1, that the creator, it says Jesus is the creator of all things. That we can say male and female, Jesus created them. And God saw that all he had made, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, when you go through Genesis 1 and 2, when God created different parts of creation, God said, that was good. That is good. That is good. But when he made male and female human beings, when he made human beings, he said, it is very good. Why? Because the value, when we talked about this in part one of the series, the value of every human being is attached to the image of God. I mean, God loves animals. One of, one of my little, little nephews got on Marco Polo, if you know what Marco Polo is. My sister said, my, my boys have some questions. And uh, little Wade goes, will there be animals in heaven? Okay, inquiring adults want to know that question. And I was able to say, God loves animals. Animals were there at creation. God, animals were there at the, at the flood to protect them. Animals were there at the birth of Christ. And animals will definitely be in heaven. And he just was like, oh. God loves animals. But he did not create human beings to be a part of the animal kingdom. They're separate. We're special. We're messed up because of sin, but God still loves us anyways because we're attached to being made in the image of God. Jesus was asked a question about marriage. And in the answer to Pharisees who were trying to trip him up, try to embarrass him, in a very narrow question about marriage, Jesus on purpose, went a little broader with it. <clears throat> so Matthew, Jesus is responding to these very intellectual uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. He said, well, haven't you read? That's kind of a little slap there, a little dig, because they had most of the, the Old Testament and the, the Pentateuch memorized. Well, haven't you read? That at the beginning, 
the creator, speaking about himself, the creator made them male and female. But the question wasn't about gender. The question was about marriage. So in a context of marriage, which is an addendum to last Sunday's message, Jesus makes very clear that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. We're going to come back with scripture, but I want to, I want to give you this, the central point today. Central point today. Again, according to scripture, according to scripture, God is the one who sovereignly assigns each person's gender for his, not for our, but for his divine purposes. According to scripture, God is the one that sovereignly assigns each person's gender for his divine purposes. Now in our day, we are very, we're encouraged to be very sensitive to other people's feelings and emotions. Now, I agree with that up to a point. That we should be um, sensitive, even on this issue, be sensitive to other people's feelings and emotions. But that is just another reminder of why we are made in the image of God. Because our omnipotent, sovereign God, holy God, has feelings and emotions. That is why we have them, because we are made in the image of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God is speaking, and he, he's, he's, you can tell he's a little offended. Okay, Again, God is always offended when his design is twisted or turned or used in a different path that, that the designer made. God is always offended when his creation is, is being altered. And so in Isaiah 45, God is speaking. Okay, this is thousands and thousands of years prior. God says, woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Goes on to say, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work or the completed project, you know, the, now the, the pot, the completed pot, say the potter has no hands? I mean, he, he, knows, he, knows, he doesn't know what he's doing. So God, God is making very clear that he is the potter and we are the clay. And God is going, woe, woe, woe to you who quarrel with your maker. And what, what, you're accusing me like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, earlier in Isaiah, God <clears throat> says this. God's still speaking. You, human beings, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. And, and this is what human beings do, and it's under the, 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 the lies and deception of Satan, because this is what Satan always does. He, he turns things upside down. But God is speaking now, because this is what humans do. You turn things upside, upside down like, as if the potter, and we're the clay, like the roles are reversed. And, and that is what Romans chapter 1 culture is. We don't worship the creator, but we worship created things. And that we 
we bring God down to our image and actually us above God. And that's what our culture has been doing for quite some time. And God goes, you're turning things upside down. Again, that's a strategy of Satan to flip things upside down. God continues. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. I'm this way. God didn't make me this way. This is who, who I am. That's the, again, this is a long time ago. Verse goes on. God says, can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing. You know nothing. And then finishes. In Romans, Paul is writing. He says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Now, every child, every middle schooler goes through this phase, right? I went through this phase. I looked around all my friends, and they had these things called muscles. <laughs> I was a toothpick. I was laughed at and mocked at as, as, as a child. You know, do you wear skis in the shower so you don't go down the drain? And all the time. And so I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, God, why did you make me this way? Let me push this up, you know. Why, why does my ears stick out? Why is my nose so big? Why is this? Why is that? Okay, th that's, that's pretty normal, right? And adults even struggle with this. God, why? Try so hard to lose weight. I can't. Why? Why did you make my body this way? Why did you make me this short? Why did you make me this tall? Why did you didn't give? Why didn't you give me the, this uh, ability? And you gave her that ability. And we, we wrestle with this. And so this is nothing new. But Paul is reminding us. He's really paraphrasing Isaiah of uh, twenty six and forty five. Why are we talking back to God? Why are we telling God? Why did you do this? Implying, God, you made a mistake. Now, there's, I, I know there's, there's a percentage of it in, in any, any situation. I, I believe there's a percentage of in the transgender world who have their, you know, maybe their fist up against God and man God and saying these things. But there's a lot of them that don't. They just, they, like, I've always felt that. You know, this is who I was on the inside, even though my, my exterior says differently. And I, and I wrestle with this. So it's not, there is, there's always a pride element in any issue. But I don't want to say that it's all. Because there's different reasons why different people struggle with dysphoria and struggle with the gender assigned to them at birth. More importantly, I want to ask, answer this question. Who's behind this movement? Th this movement is fairly new within the last 10, 15 years. And, and the percentage of, of people who struggle with dysphoria are super, super small. It's been that way for centuries. But just in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been this massive spike. So who's behind this? I'm going to go to the root of this. Who's behind this is the father of lies and confusion. Satan is the father of lies. And his lies cause confusion. 
God is the complete opposite. He is the father of truth and clarity. That is why God is very specific. He wants his word, you know, he wanted it written down and preserved. Because God is the God of truth and clarity. Not that we like the truth all the time. But the father of lies, lies about God. He's done that since, you know, since the Garden of Eden. He lies about us. And he wants us to believe lies about us. And he lies about other people. And he lies about himself. About who he is and what he's really attempting to do. Doing. And, and, and Jesus came right out in John. He says that he, he's the father of lies. And he, he, he strives to steal, kill, and destroy. Contrast that, Jesus said, but I have come to give life and life to the full. Life abundantly. But the father of lies and confusion is doing what comes natural to him. And when he lies, when he causes confusion, he robs us of peace. He robs us of joy. He robs us of accepting. And he robs us of contentment. He is behind all of this. He knows his days are numbered. He knows that Christ is returning soon. So he is put on the full court press to cause as much confusion and chaos as possible. And as a result, he is stealing, killing, and destroying hope and a future. What is his strategy? It, it's the same strategy. His strategy is to normalize abnormality. His strategy is to normalize abnormality. Now, I'm not saying this to be offensive. I'm not saying this to be cold-hearted. Uh, let me give you the definitions because words mean things, all right? Normal means a standard condition. Do you look at percentages and this is the standard condition that means normal. Abnormality is when we deviate from normal or the usual. And this is a scheme. Paul says several times, I'm not unaware of Satan's schemes. And one of the schemes that he is using in our culture and around the world is to normalize the abnormality. What is up is now down. What is right is now wrong. And what is wrong is now right. What is normal is now ridiculed and demeaned. And what is abnormal is celebrated and cheered. So how should a believer respond? How should, if you're a follower of Christ, how should you respond? I want to challenge us to our first response is respond with compassion. I believe that's what Jesus would do. I believe that's what Jesus did in the Old Testament. He responded to hurting people with compassion. Now, he responded to arrogant Pharisees, religious leaders. He responded to them with anger, righteous indignation. But in this situation, I believe the first, our primary, our initial response should be with compassion. That if there's child in your home or a relative in your family or a neighbor or a, a friend or a co-worker you respond with compassion with genuine love genuine care to be their friend to spend time with them to listen to them to hear them to 
give them dignity that every, God, every one of God's you know, human beings should be treated because we're made in the image of God. Watch your tone and tenor of how you talk about this issue. You have no idea who may be listening. Begin with compassion. Believers should respond with compassion. Second of, the, second of all, respond with courage. Respond with courage, which is a challenge in our culture because if you respond in cur- courage, um, you could be canceled. You could be made fun of. You could be called, you know, phobic something, something phobic. And even backstage, someone was like, man, is, is YouTube going to block Race Point's YouTube channel because of this series? I'm like, I, that's God's problem. It's above my pay grade. But we need courage. With compassion and courage, speak the truth in love. You can say, according to Scripture, God has assigned your gender, not your doctor, not your parents, not you. It's always loving to tell the truth, but it's how we tell the truth. It's the tone and tenor in which we tell the truth. Have the courage to love those enough to be truthful to them. You see, the design of God has always been under attack. Everything that God has designed has been under attack since the Garden of Eden. God hates human beings are made in the image of God. So he is attacked. And, and, and once sin has entered, sin has poisoned every inch of fabric of God's creation. Just take the human body, the human, the humanity of all of us. All of us have been saturated with the results of sin. All of us have been saturated. Uh, physically, getting sick. As you get older, you realize, oh, yeah, I, I got a sin-jacked body. Stopped, things are stopped working or now it's hurting more. We just go look back at the Garden of Eden. Thanks, Adam and Eve. Because our bodies, Paul talks about, they're just a tent. And our tent, as the older we get, it groans because of sin. Physically. Emotionally, sin has tainted all of our emotions. That's why scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. Meaning that you can have, be angry and not sin, but a lot of us, we get angry and we're sinning because of how we're responding. And our emotions are jacked up. The emotional part of us is jacked up because of sin. Spiritually, so physically, emotionally, spiritually, there's been conflict all the time. God is, God's, and Satan's like, God's a liar. The Bible is a myth. You know, da, da, da. He's attacking us spiritually. And we have all these thoughts that are, are, are touched by sin. Sexually, we... We have desires that should not be there. It should be for our spouse. And then we, we look, whoa, oh my goodness, yeah, I want to go down this path. Inside our, desire, our, our sexual desires have been touched and tainted and poisoned by sin. And the same thing mentally. We are mentally saturated with the curse of sin. How we think about other people. Many times it's sin. We're not better than anybody. Especially by color. 
But mentally, we sin. When we're judging other people, we're ranking other people. That's from sin. And it's also sin, the way we view ourselves. And I think this is an area, mental, mentally, even though the organizations in the last two years have changed the issue of transgenderism out of mental illness, it was there for a long time, they've removed those. I, I, I said there's a mental challenge and sin has invaded the minds of all of us, how we view ourselves, and we compare with other people. And we're not surrendering and accepting how God made us. So in this issue, as delicate as it is, lead with compassion. We've had transgenders attend Grace Point, and we have loved them. And we have talked with them and been respectful. Some of our pastors have taken them out to lunch to hear their story. Are they welcome here? Absolutely. Anybody's welcome here. All are welcome here. So we're going to lead with compassion, but also we need to follow it up with courage. And pray and ask God to help you when there's someone in your life. How to respond in a way that Jesus would be pleased. Would you pray with me? God, I know, because I've had conversations, that there's those, there are those in our church that this hits home, very close to home. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them extra grace and, and, and help and, and love and care and courage and how to respond. Lord, I pray that they would respond the way Jesus would. Lord, help us as a church to have compassion and courage on issues such as this. So, Lord, we ask that you be glorified in this series and, and even what we talked about today. We acknowledge that you are the designer. And that you are the one that assigns um, gender to every single human being. We ask for your help. And in all of this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're our guest today, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we'll close this series up next week. And then we begin a brand new series called Finding the Missing Peace. If you're our guest, please go to guest services. We have a gift for you. If you have a friend you want to pray and invite to church, put their name on the wall out there. May God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.